Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the Yahoo Sports College podcast. I am Dan Wetzel, joined by Pete Thamel, Pat Forty. As usual, now, we would normally tape this after the playoff rankings come out on Tuesday night. But since nothing is going to change, and this was an exercise in futility, we will not engage in such a, uh, such things. I actually would have loved to see them put Alabama third or something, or <laughs> fifth. Kind of a, is this thing on experiment? Uh, but I didn't have it. Uh, anyway, this is kind of befitting of a weekend that does not have a lot going on. There's Duke at Clemson, Iowa State, Texas. Don't get all excited at once. (laughs) Basically, it's Notre Dame, Syracuse, and Yankee Stadium, which we will get to more to in a minute. But because of that, kind of the big thing that happened on Tuesday was a Brett McMurphy story about Ohio State, another one involving Zach Smith, the former uh, wide receiver coach. Uh, Brett broke the original story and has been in the middle of this thing. And, uh, this one's a little different. It, it features, well, it features an allegation by LeBron Grimes, whose son Trayvon played for Ohio state, uh, a couple years ago. And, uh, LeBron alleges that when Trayvon wanted to transfer, the reason he wanted to transfer and he ended up at Florida where he's been a productive player this year. Uh, It was because uh, his son told him, and this is the quote, uh, uh, Zach, Zach Smith, Zach got up in his face and called him a, I'm just going to leave that, but there's a racial slur in there. The N word is in there. And then said, I should have never recruited you. And Trayvon said something to Zach about him messing around with college girls. End quote. This is from LeBron Grimes. Um, now LeBron immediately or almost immediately flew to Indianapolis and drove over with a friend. And there's, there's some evidence that suggests maybe this did happen or or something tumultuous happened. Uh, but in terms of Ohio state, it is a universal denial. Uh, Zach Smith says no, urban Meyer says no. Uh, there's more to it. Urban and Zach and other guys flew to Florida to talk to Trevon. Were they trying to get him back or were they trying to comfort him because his mom was sick or were they trying to cover this up as LeBron Grimes suggests? Trevon and his mom say they don't talk to LeBron Grimes. It is a messy little story. 
Um, but there is universal disagreement that this occurred. Uh, although Ohio State is willing to admit there was some, uh, I think they called it, uh, I don't know, they called it an altercation or just an a, interaction, I think they said. Interaction. Yeah, that was it. Um, so where do you stand on this story? Um, I have my thoughts, but I'll start with you guys. Pat, what do you think of uh, this story? There's a lot more to it, but I'm not going to go down this real rabbit hole uh, that goes back and forth on who's right and who isn't. And and even the story is written in a manner of, you know, what's the truth? Who knows? Yeah, I think that uh, we could go for an hour just trying to describe the story. It's very convoluted. I don't love the story. Uh, I don't think that it's strong enough. Uh, it's built on basically a secondhand allegation, and even if it is from the father of a player, uh, it feels a little squishy to me. Uh, and here's the problem: you guys know we've done, we've all done investigative stories that are highly accusatory. If you give the accused, the quote-unquote accused, some wiggle room, man, they're going to fire back at you with everything, and that's what Ohio State has done today. There have been denials from the president. There's been a condemnation from Gene Smith. Players have been on Twitter all over the place ripping the story. It just, it, it's got to be buttoned up. And I didn't feel like this story was buttoned up enough to, uh, to go with. And, you know, I, 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 no idea whether an altercation slash interaction occurred, what was said. Zach Smith is not a believable figure in any form or fashion. The only thing that I could, the only real, like, strong inference I can draw from this whole thing. As th this is why Zach went thermonuclear on Twitter on Sunday, because he knew this story was coming and he was triggered by it. That's about all I know. Pete, what do you think of this thing? Yeah, so I obviously uh, read it when it came out today. And um, look, I've worked at the New York Times. I've worked at Sports Illustrated, obviously worked at Yahoo, worked on investigations at all of them here. And I don't think any of those places would have run this as it is. Anytime some story is written around like, the search for the truth, which is sort of the, you know, the, the, the theme of this, like uh, it, what this is like, it, it's almost like a walk through the reporting. And there was clearly a lot of time and, and likely expense put into the, to the reporting here. It, for, for the explosiveness of the allegations, there isn't enough behind it to, to legitimize in my mind uh, running it. So I don't know if I've ever seen a story so universally shot down as Pat said, president AD, coach uh, player after player after player after player doing it and it's it's tricky when you don't have documentation it's just sort of like uh like he took a hand grenade threw it there and dropped it and uh and, and and walked away so there has been very little support i've noticed today just from other journalism circles of of what was written and uh it just feels like a reach to me yeah you know the the two most obvious things that i see that i would ask is the allegation is not necessarily the, or the, the allegation is one thing, but the point of truth, ha, there's multiple points of truth. It's possible that um, Zach Smith did indeed say a racial slur at Grimes. And that's really the only issue here is that use of words. If he called runs, if an assistant coach is trying to motivate a player and walks up and uses foul language and says, I shouldn't have recruited you here. That's not a scandal. Okay. The only scandal is, was they, was they racial slur use? That is a possible point that did, did or did not occur. 
But what also could or could not have occurred is uh, that uh, Trayvon told his father that that occurred and was exaggerating. And then his father took it as gospel. And he is alleging that his son said it. But that just because his son said it doesn't mean it's true. So there's a, a real big trip fault, you know, a, a wire to trip over there. LeBron could be, it's kind of weird using the term LeBron, but LeBron, <laughs> LeBron here could be correct, but he could be wrong, right? So that's why these types of stories don't, are, are scary. And this is why hearsay is not allowed in, uh, in court. Now that doesn't mean hearsay can't sometimes be used or whatever, but is there anybody else who's going to back this up? If Trayvon had come out and told five teammates at the time, this is what happened. Now they say down in Florida, he did tell people that, but in that moment, to me, this would have been a huge deal. If, if, if he, if, if Zach Smith had said this, the reaction would have been immediate and all of the rest of the teammates would have heard about it. And this would have been not tolerated. Okay. I, look, Ohio State has credibility issues with all their little investigations, but I'm just not buying that any college football program is just going to allow this kind of language to go down on the field. I don't I'm not buying that. So the idea would be like we're going to we're going to allow this. So I just think there's all sorts of fault lines here that that you can get tripped up on. And and that's why you could trust Trevon or LeBron Grimes, which although according to this story there's not a lot of reasons to necessarily trust him. <laughs> But he could be telling the truth, and it could be a lie, and that's the problem. You have too many things in a lie. So that's why I I didn't think much of it, and I just think, gosh, for this not why why wasn't it mentioned at the time? Why didn't he immediately tell somebody uh, one of his teammates? Why didn't he take a swing at the guy? I you know, there's a lot of things that make me say, geez, I don't know about this. This is a this is a really hard allegation, and I think this is a point where you don't just have to be right; you have to be fair. And yeah. I don't know if this is fair. And I know it's not, uh, it's Zach Smith. Why be fair? But you got to be fair to all of them. Yeah. Uh, not just who you like or or don't like. And that's that's my thing. I'm not sure this is a fair story. Sure. No, I agree with you there. And that's the thing. I mean, Zach Smith is among the least likable figures I've ever seen in college football. Uh, but you, that doesn't mean you can necessarily run with things that you can't support back up. Uh, or feel really strong about putting into publication. That's you know again if if you if you give the people that you're going after an inch justifiably, they're going to take a mile and just smash you with it, and that's what's been happening today. All right, Pat or Pete, got something else to add? Yeah, well, I do think the most powerful people denouncing this were wide receiver after wide receiver who was in that room, who were friends with Grimes. Like I, I saw a quote from Paris Campbell, uh, the, the senior receiver from Ohio state. I saw a couple other guys in that room and look like nobody's lining up to defend Zach Smith right now. Right. So, right. you know, I mean, he's, he's, he's a very easy target. So the fact that these guys are, you know, amid that very, like that tightrope of sort of saying, look, Zach Smith didn't do this. I, I think that that in a, in a weird way that actually that means something more because they're they're sort of jumping on his back, even though he's not obviously a very popular guy anywhere right now. Um, but yeah, I 
I, I agree with what both of you uh, what, what both of you said. Like you got if you're going to write something like this, you got to be ready to like stand on the table. You can't present it as I'm kind of looking for it and I'm not sure if I found it. And even like the last line was, you know, it depends on who you ask. It's like, well, I don't know if you what is the truth? It depends on whom you ask. Like that's that's not exactly like what you want to what you want to do and we've all done this you invest months of time into investigative reporting and, and sometimes the best journalistic decisions you make are the ones you punt on yeah, yeah i've wasted a lot of time on some stories there's no question <laughs> yeah to come real real close and, and we're true but not yeah 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 so yeah i don't i don't i just think and i agree it's it's the it's the teammates i, I could care less what the president says the president's got no idea <laughs> president is I mean, right. the president has no idea he's being told to do that right and so he's doing it but he has no idea the ad has no idea who was there in that moment and i just don't i just don't see it as as has been proven in any way so um you know there it is it's 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 a dicey thing now you know the critics would say well ohio state has just told all the players to deny it because this is bad i don't know if you get all these guys to immediately jump on twitter and do this you know, like they may sit there and say, hey, I ain't going to mention anything, but I'm not going to I'm not going to go out, not on a charge like this. So, right. I, you uh, don't want to just to, to voluntarily lie. Uh, you know, I mean, if, if it's one thing to say nothing, but to come out and refute it the way they did uh, to yeah. me is fairly significant. Yeah. Yeah. You can't get a guy, a bunch of guys in a room and be like, let's cover up for a racist who's also proven himself to be a pretty deplorable human being. These guys are all pretty real. They're not going to exactly jump on board that train. My my guess is is the player told his dad. That's my guess. Yeah. And his dad took it, but that isn't what actually happened, in which yeah. anybody who's had a child, you know, it's always the, the parent, <laughs> my child would never lie to me. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Really? Right. The, yeah. the child better be under six months oh, old. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pre-verbal. They don't lie very well, at least. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's that, like why? Right. Like why is your hand in the cookie? I'm putting the cookies back. Right. Yeah. yeah that's. Yeah. Uh, I found the cookies out and putting them back. Yeah. I yeah. mean, come on. If you're going with that, and I, I, but I, that's what I think probably happened here. Um, and and that's why you gotta you gotta look ahead to that. All right. Um. So this weekend, College Game Day is at Central Florida. They are they're going to do live from Orlando. The Knights are nine and zero. They're playing nine and one Cincinnati. Great game, um, big challenge for for UCF. I love when Game Day strays from just the rotation of Columbus and Tuscaloosa and you know Ann Arbor and whatever, and, and showcases some other teams and stuff. Um, Kirk Herb Street has been pretty uh vocal against UCLF UCF although I think his his points are fairly uh accurate um but so I, I kind of feel like this is going to turn into like the game day or in the discussion of how the four-team pay- playoff is unfair to non-power five schools and it's not it's not necessarily fair I don't know if it's fair I don't, there is no fairness it may not be stacked in its favor but I actually think a, a non-Power 5 school could do this. They just have to have the right schedule. All the stars have to align. But I do think it, TCU was once third. They could have made it when they were in uh, Mountain West. Um, and what I really hated the debate without context, because it seems to me when we do this, it's like non-Power 5 is getting cheated. It, it, it 
dumbs down the argument to the little schools need a chance. The big schools should, should protect this. To me, the four-team playoff is affecting all of us because look at this weekend. It's, it's another boring weekend because the Pac-12 is effectively eliminated from the national discussion. None of its games matter. I don't think anyone really believes Washington State can make this thing. The Big Ten is a one-game deal now. And not this conference championship game. It's just one game. The Big 12 has two games kind of remaining. But they're going to be the same two teams against each other probably. Bama and Clemson might be able to both lose and still make it. So we have so many games that rather than every game matters, we have tons of games that don't matter at all. And that's where I think the the playoff, if you got to think of these weekends when you're kind of like, all right, the season's gearing up. What are we watching? And instead we're sitting there going, man, there ain't anything on. I mean, there's nothing going to be on really until 7 or 8 o'clock at night that have any bearing on anything. And I think that's the failure of a four-team playoff. There are strengths to a four-team playoff, but the failure of a four-team playoff opposed to an eight-team that would allow five automatic bids and thus every conference race still matters. And then there's still a spot for three at-large teams to, so teams can keep fighting rather than just sit there and say, yeah, we're kind of out. What do you guys think of that? Uh, you, know, you know what, Dan? It's almost like you've written a book about this. Yeah. You're, you're, so, <laughs> you're so well-versed on on this. No, I, I, I agree with you completely. Is that, that basically we've we the the fourteen playoff has boxed itself into this, these sort of situations where you get these anticlimactic weeks. You're hoping that they're you know at least if you are just a generic fan of the sport and you're wanting entertainment on your Saturday, you're looking at this Saturday like okay, geez, where's it going to come from? And you're hoping okay, can you know some completely overmatched team pull the shocker of the century here? No, probably not. And and so you go on your way and you're not as interested in the weekend. Uh, Certainly, this would be a great chance for UCF, a, a, a pedestal for them to, to make a case for, yes, a, an expanded playoff. Uh, it's interesting to me that, you know, this is, the, this is the, the olive branch, so to speak, from ESPN for having bashed UCF, supposedly, quote-unquote bashed, I'm air-quoting bashed, because UCF was, I thought, very overly sensitive to people saying they don't deserve to be in the playoff, but... This is how things work at ESPN largely is if you complain enough, they'll listen to you and bend over backwards for you in some form or fashion. So game day comes to Orlando. Congratulations, Knights. Uh, but it's, it's, it's an unsatisfactory way we're getting towards a better conclusion to the season. The, the playoffs certainly better than the BCS. I agree a bigger playoff would be best, but this is what we got right now. Pete? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was thinking I'm covering uh, Notre Dame-Syracuse at Yankee Stadium on uh, on Saturday and going through my mind of, like, what to write when, you know, if Notre Dame wins 55-3 to or something like that, what, what do I write out of there? And you do wonder, we're five years into a 12-year system. The math has never been right, right, guys? There's five power conferences and four spots. That was never going to work. We wrote that going in, and it's still not going to work. Like, how cool would it be if, like, Washington State won the Pac-12 and they'd play Alabama or something like that? Or UCF plays Alabama. You know, like, I mean, it just right. – I, I agree that 
the, the playoff obviously is better than the than the BCS. Certainly, I would not go on a podcast with the guy who wrote "Death to the BCS" and like prop up the BCS. <laughs> <laughs> one of the one of the very few good things about the BCS, I do think it nationalized the regional game. Like it, it made a Thursday night. West Virginia pit game relevant to a USC fan like it did you know as the world got smaller the world got flat if you will in that era and we were you know all of a sudden all now connected via the internet and everything like that college football became more of one as opposed to a a section of regional rivalry so if there is any like small tip of the cap I give to the largely disastrous BCS is it did help nationalize the game but now we're as consumers as reporters as fans we're all more sophisticated to it all And we want, I think we want to see the season maximized, right? And the season is not maximized right now. We have, we're we're potentially here the second straight boring week. Now, look, if Duke gives Clemson a run or if Syracuse all of a sudden like runs off against Notre Dame, we'll have a little burst of excitement this week. But even the windows for bursts of excitement are small at this, at this point. So I do think and have always thought we would get to eight and we need a tipping point, right? Like we guys, we talked about this early on in the podcast. Like the tipping point for the last system was LSU Bama twice, right? And so the tipping point for this system has to be something like that. Well, we've had one clear sign of a tipping point with an all SEC title game last year. This year coming up, you know, there are going to be, you know, a, you know, the Pac 12 is going to get left out again. We're, we've already conceded that the Big 12 doesn't have too much of a shot right now. Um, you know, they, they, they need, they need things to happen ahead of them. And eventually the commissioners and the presidents are going to realize that. And they're also going to succumb to big money. Money always wins in these conversations. An 18 playoff would be big money. But I do think if you're Larry Scott right now, you want your title game to have a juice. Like, I mean, Pat and I just talking about like what title games to cover, like outside the sec. None. Yeah. I mean, there's there's just not covering. Yeah, there's just not a ton of there's just not a ton of national interest in in any of them. And maybe if those become rating flops, if 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 these scenarios play out and the favorites hold and those scenarios hold, I, I really think we could, you know, we, we could be in for a bit of a dud of a championship weekend and that might prompt some soul searching. Well, I mean, I can tell you right now, this weekend's not great. Next weekend's fabulous. Right. Yeah. The following weekend is gonna basically come down if if serves hold. Yeah. To is Georgia beat Alabama and then take a spot? Not that Alabama's out. Yeah. But do they take a spot? Other than that, not one conference championship game is going to matter. And right. if Alabama wins, then Michigan's got a chance to get in. Yeah. But the rest of the games are pointless. And so there's nothing to that weekend. And that's it's it's like two three of our final four weekends of the season are basically going to be like, eh, like what do we got? You can hype these things up, but it doesn't matter. And we've had it otherwise. Big Ten championship game. Neither of you are going. You know? Right. Yeah. We'll take the team that didn't make it. Bama made mm-hmm. it last year without being in the – and so you've created this weird deal that this has actually got more – there's more holes in this thing than I actually even envisioned. <laughs> but at some point the, – the, the tipping point would be Georgia beating Alabama and then having Clemson 1, Notre Dame 2, Georgia 3, Alabama 4. And then Clemson and Alabama having to play in the semis, and then <laughs> right, yeah. and then the two and Michigan twelve win twelve wins in a row. Michigan's out. <laughs> yeah, no okay. Pac twelve, no Big Twelve, bit no Big Ten, and you go, and Oklahoma's lost only on a kick, and you go, what the hell's going on here? But that's 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 the system they set up because they don't they don't want to break free from the Bulls. They don't want that third See, week. I think there's a a direct proportion between 
number of power conferences excluded from the playoff and the outrage to change the playoff. Right. And so if you take three of them out, like you suggested, if it's if it's two from the SEC, one independent, and an ACC, and you got no Big Ten, no Pac-12, no Big 12, oh, now we start getting to the point where I think there's going to be a push. We're change. literally like a couple results from that. Like yeah, barring right. no upsets, we're we're one we're one game away. Like you could totally have that happen. Yep. So you're like, all right, because they're not going to keep Alabama out. If Alabama loses to Georgia. All right. Yeah. But that's what we're at in these conference championship games. Who cares if you win? Who cares if you're even in it? <laughs> well, don't forget too. There, there could be a couple du- double digit point spreads. Like you know. The, oh, for you know, sure. Now all the oh. Northwestern fans and journalists, quite frankly, are going to flock to Indy for their big moment and then watch their team get their teeth kicked in by by Michigan, we assume. Again, give Pac-12. Northwestern credit. They played them close in, right. in uh, Evanston earlier in the year. I think Michigan's a lot better now than they were uh, than they were then. But like those games are just just end up being like conference tournaments in basketball. They're just fundraisers. That's that's what they've become. So it's like, you know, we've 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 created a a the, the season we're missing out on the epic November that could be more games matter. Instead, we have less. And so I, I wish, and I, this is my thing. I feel like this is going to be a big pl- weekend of, cause ESPN drives the conversation and ESPN is going to be, it's all going to be about is, is central Florida getting screwed. Central Florida is not getting screwed in this. They don't deserve to be in. No. Okay. Now maybe they deserve it of an eight, but it's not rigged against them. They haven't beat, they haven't had to play anybody. Now no. they're playing some better teams. Okay, and hey, maybe they go out and wax a, a really good Cincinnati team. All right, and then you wax, you know, there's some there's some chances here, but they are getting screwed right now. They're about where they should be, and uh, it's it's all of us that are getting screwed because we're sitting around going, "Geez, hope Syracuse." I mean, our our weekend resides on Duke and Syracuse making games <laughs> of it. Yeah, you know. Uh, so- I got a little br- breaking news popping up here. Urban Meyer is on the Big Ten conference call where we've been talking, and I, I see a headline here, an aggregation headline. Ohio State considering legal action against Brett McMurphy after Trayvon Grimes' report. Oh, so, my. So yeah, Urban Meyer said fine. Ohio State is, quote, certainly looking into legal action, end quote, against mm-hmm. uh, against that. That's from a uh, 11 Warriors report, which is a site I think that covers Ohio State very well and, and, and thoroughly. So that was, uh, I believe, from the uh, Big Ten conference call. So that would certainly be interesting. We all know about the uh, not happening, not happening. Yeah, I don't think he happening. wants to go to court on that one. Easiest thing no. the world to do is say you're going to sue yeah. somebody. Yeah, right. Not very- happening. They're not doing that. <laughs> That's fine. That's just place. That's just place that I, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of this story, but that ain't happening. No. They're not going to open up that thing. That can no, of worms. You do not want to open yourself up to discovery on that. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, Mike Gundy, our old, uh, the old warrior, the all mullet, no muscle fighter, as Pat said, I thought he was, you know, might have a knife on him and could beat up Tom Herman. <laughs> <laughs> But Gundy right now is taking his rage and his luxurious locks to the snowflakes of Gen Z, he's calling it. Uh, he, he, he went off on transfers, basically. Well, I think we live in a world where people are noncommittal. Actually, I think the marriage rate's up, right? I don't know. <laughs> we, we allow liberalism to say, hey, I can just do what I want and I don't have to really be tough and fight through it. And you see that with with young people uh, because it's an option they're given 
we weren't given that option when we were growing up. We were told what to do. We did it the right way or um, you go figure it out on your own. This could have been a line from Okie from Muskogee uh, by uh, Merle Haggard. Um, <laughs> here's his later. In the world today, there's a lot of entitlement. Uh, I'm a firm believer in the snowflake. <laughs> I think snowflakes are real, so believe it. <laughs> Talking about every millennial young person, Generation Z, I think is what they call them. Um, that's the world we live in because if they say, well, it's a little bit hard, then we say, okay, well, let's go try something else versus, hey, let's let's bear down and let's fight through this. So you see a lot of that nowadays. This is where it gets a little weird. In general, in society, even if you're working down here at Walmart, if your boss gets after you and tells you that you're not doing a good job, <laughs> you may go home and cry and tell your mom, and your mom may say it's okay. That's just kind of the facts of life, the world we live in today. Don't get me on politics. Uh, I don't know what the Walmart part thinks. Um and why the Walmart, the Walmart guy still living with mom. The Walmart guy has to live with his mom. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> this whole part. Anyway, um, you know, he's, uh, he's fired up. What do you, what do you think? Uh, Pat, let's we'll start with you on this one. Yeah. I can't believe you got two thirds of the way through that before saying it got weird. I mean, <laughs> well, <yeah>. it's <laughs> weird from the jump. Uh, it's, you know what? Mike Gundy, the 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 mouthy mullet just he he he, he can't stop himself clearly uh, even when he's making no sense. Uh, the funny thing the the thing that cracked me up about this the firm believer in the snowflake uh, is you know he thinks that that all these these kids these players are soft and they've been made soft and well what happened when he was so afraid that the big bad media was going to ask him about player transferring a few weeks ago that he threatened them a not to not to answer the questions and b they'll pull your credential if you do tough mike gundy can't handle a question about a transfer who's the snowflake here come on stillwater snowflake toughen up a little bit i thought that was ridiculous but that's par for the course for mighty mullet was was he wearing a make bullets great again hat when he uh, when he went on this rant? Um, there have always been great, Pete. Always been great. Guess, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, you know, it's funny. I was talking to some uh, ESPN people over the last few weeks, and they said Gundy is the only place when like network TV goes in to do their games where he does not let them talk to players or coaches. So this is clearly a guy who will complain about everybody else, but yet he's a small person who doesn't have the foresight or the ability, you know, wants to be the one voice, like classic domineering bully. I don't know. Like, I, I really think he does these things for, for attention and it works. Like, uh, I just, but it's, it's hard to take him seriously. The media threat thing was like all time. It's like, that still happens. Is this like 1984? Like. I don't know. It was 1944. Yeah, it, it, exactly. He's in the perfect place. His AD is the old golf coach who's just a total figurehead and does nothing. Gundy runs it. He battles with Boone once in a while. It's why I, I remember Tennessee went and talked to him. He would melt down in an actual like media market, in an actual real college football setting where there was accountability and bosses and such. Yeah, that's that's the other part of this is, is, you know, he's worried about other people who can't take it and run off when things get tough. Well, you know, every time he starts to get a little heat there, he goes to interview or talk to somebody else. He talked to Tennessee. He talked to Arkansas. Who that's knows a transfer. That's a transfer. It is. Yeah. He wasn't getting fired. He's making a ton of money. Yeah, I think he's – I mean, I think he's obviously 
drunk on power. I mean, he's, he's, <laughs> he's spent his whole life in Oklahoma State. He's making a ton of money. It's a little teeny town. There's nobody who can challenge him. The fans, I mean, he's not even – he does all right, but he's not like the greatest coach in the world, but he can do whatever the hell he wants. So he says it. I, his his point is not completely without merit, though. I will say that. I mean, there is a yeah. culture of just, hey, I, I'm not going to stick it out. And there's positives and negatives to that. There are positives that kids should have the ability. They have very limited careers. They shouldn't have to just sit there and stick with it. But I do think some people quit too quick, too quickly. And sure. so, you know, I, I think he's got a point buried in there somewhere. Um, here's my other problem with this whole thing. He has on his roster, I'm looking at the Oklahoma State roster. He's got players who transferred from Texas A&M, Hawaii, LSU. Let's see, what else we got here? Uh, these are JUCOs, Michigan State, East Carolina, Central Oklahoma, yeah. Army, Next. I mean, SMU. Like, he's – well, what are these guys? Like, they all quit too and they decided, Oklahoma, well, that it's all right. Yeah, because right. Oklahoma, I mean sure. – so are they really quitters? You know, are we going to, why would he take, take those snowflakes into his program? Yeah. I mean, Corey Foss, uh, Fosto, you know, red shirt, sophomore from Wichita, Kansas wide receiver. The man got into West point. Okay. Decided. Well, I don't know what happened. I never even heard the kid before now, but he's somebody, he's somebody of accomplishment. He got into West point and then decided it wasn't for him. Is this a bad thing? Yeah. Like, right. you, you know, like uh, you took him. So, you know, I, I think he, you know, he's not a very good communicator, obviously, he's the, <laughs> the ranter. Uh, but I, he has a point, but, man, he didn't make it. So. <laughs> no. Uh, but whatever. He's keeping us entertained this year, though, you know. I mean, keep keep ranting, Gundy. Keep spouting. Yeah. We'll All right. No, five and five, Mike Gundy, who probably might not make a bowl this year, by the way, has to win yeah, a TCU I, to end the year to make a bowl. Like, probably not the best time to use your bully pulpit there. And, hey, uh, he needed know. to change the subject from losing to Oklahoma again, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I know. mean. Dress down the, the guy from the Stillwater transcript. You go, Mike, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's not even that good of a coach. I mean, it's like, it's all right, but, you know, whatever. Uh, all right, Notre Dame is playing uh, in what it calls its Shamrock Series this weekend in hosting. This is why the game against Syracuse is in Yankee Stadium. Uh, it's a obviously a cool venue. It is an event game. The Irish kind of strive for it, brings them to New York, where they have a lot of alum, big media, big donors, all of that. Uh, and it helps them in recruiting North Jersey, Southwest Connecticut. They get a lot of players. Brooklyn, they get some kids. Um, so this is what they want to do. They are kind of fading out the Shamrock Series. This is the ninth one in 10 years. Um, they usually do this to plug in gaps in where they want to recruit. They've been to Texas three times in this thing. Uh, I think it's a great idea um, in general, but they are kind of fading it out. There'll be some in the future, but it's not going to be an annual thing. But here's the issue. They're giving up a home game for it. And maybe this is a better idea when you're going to go nine and three than when you got a chance at the title. So, Pete, you're going to cover this thing. I, could this be like the just a bungled over-marketed idea where you're like, we're going to go do this thing and then, oh no, it might backfire. Uh, we got a better chance of beating Syracuse, the suckers in South Bend, or is this still going to be a pretty intimidating environment uh, for, for, for the Irish who control most of the tickets in this thing, even though there's a lot of Syracuse fans, obviously in New York. What are, what are your thoughts on this? Was this gamble worth it? 
Well, I'll say this. Uh, there was certainly a heightened sensitivity about this at Notre Dame going into the season. I remember in July, I was talking to Jack Swarbrick, the athletic director, and he was very upfront about, I didn't do my coach any favors with this schedule. And it, remember now, it's compounded because the Navy game, which should have been a road game at Navy, was played in San Diego. So they go to San Diego, come back. Uh, they obviously have the home game with Florida State. They go to New York come back to South Bend, and then they're going to obviously have to go to L.A. to the Coliseum to close the season. So if they do get tripped up from behind, certainly Swarbrick has acknowledged he's left himself open to some criticism. And uh, I do like the spirit and the notion behind the Shamrock series. It goes back to Notre Dame's roots to the 40s. I think it's smart in terms of that. They, they actually played a home game against B.C. at Fenway Park, a Notre Dame home game in Boston at Fenway Park against Boston College. Um, you know, th there's been some unconventional things. I think there's been a lot of positives, but certainly if Notre Dame doesn't make it through these past two weeks, and look, who thought Syracuse would be number, you know, 12 or 11 or whatever the heck they are in the in, in, in the country right now. It will be a Notre Dame home environment, but I don't think the environment matters as much as the, uh, the compilation of all the travel. I think that's what could be the biggest issue here. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you said there, Pete, is that, that you're basically putting this team at risk for the overall vision of, of the program. And I understand overall vision, and that's good. And, hey, Notre Dame obviously has done it better than anyone in the history of football building a national following, and a big part of that was going to play all over the place. They played Army in Yankee Stadium 20 times in 22 years between 1925 and 1946. And that was huge in building the Notre Dame mystique. Uh, and so they're, you know, they're trying to stay in touch with being a national program. But the practical nuts and bolts of it are you'd rather be 12-0 and 0 playing in South Bend more often than drop one of these games and miss the college football playoff. So, you know, that that's kind of the trade-off that they're dealing with here. And, and Jack Swarbrick is a Notre Dame traditionalist, a Notre Dame sentimentalist, and so he wants to kind of keep alive all of the ethos of the program. But I think he's also got a coach who's a, a probably underrated and a little bit underappreciated coach of what he's done there in his Notre Dame tenure, who's telling him, Jack, more home games, less Shamrock series. Well, how about this? I mean, Notre Dame has to recruit uh, nationally. I actually have another kind of column this week. I mean, their roster's got 28 states. Uh, 27 states, the District of Columbia, and one kid from Canada. They go all over, and they do it by playing these schedules. Consider this end of the season five weeks, basically one month time. They placed in San Diego, okay? Then they played in Chicago against Northwestern. Then they played at home against Florida State. Now they're going to New York, and then they're going to go to L.A. First off, that's one, two, three. New York, L.A., Chicago, three biggest cities in the country. They're playing there in, in a four-week stretch. And then you throw in another trip to South, South, Southern California, recruiting Rich. They've got a few players from San Diego on there. And you whoop up on Florida State, uh, uh, which represents a state that you have, I think, 12 kids on their roster. And it's a huge thing. Like, that's how Notre Dame has to operate. And so you you have to the, – the, the Notre Dame – can't be this good unless you manage this kind of part together. And that's why they truly play everywhere, you know, Philly and Pittsburgh and Atlanta. And, you know, the SEC, the ACC deal has really helped them. But like no other school in the country could ever say, we're going to play 
Chicago, New York, and, and L.A. all three weeks in a row, basically. Like, <laughs> right. So the advantage there is this is how we get recruits. And when we show up, it's a big deal. They don't just mm-hmm. limp into town. Yeah. It's like Notre Dame's here, and we're renting out Yankee Stadium, and we're going to bring – so all the all the other schools that came into Jersey to recruit, and they go to Rutgers, and they hope you come over and see the game. No, they're going to – Notre Dame now owns the building. They can invite their recruits. Like, there will be every kid – in, in 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 Connecticut through New Jersey, sitting over at Yankee Stadium on Saturday night watching this thing. So this is how they have to do it, and this is the challenge of Notre Dame. You can't just sit back like your Ohio State or Florida or USC and go, all right, we'll just round up 15 kids around here and then recruit a little a couple. They got to get them all. So this is kind of part of the deal. And uh, But there's a risk this year because uh, this is obviously a, a massive game against a, a dangerous uh, – a dangerous team. All right, quickly moving on. Alabama plays the Citadel on Saturday. Uh, Alabama closes with Auburn and Georgia in the SEC title game. So they got two big ones coming. They got this kind of rest game. Seems like a decent time to sit Tua, who got banged up in the Mississippi State game, but Coach Saban would have none of that. He believed it was kind of an insult to the Citadel. Sends the wrong message. Like, we don't need our quarterback. What is that? He's always looking to avoid... Uh, relaxing or any whatever complacency. Uh, and he basically says the teammates need to play pass better, uh, block better, play better, and Tua's got to avoid the hits. Uh, I don't think this guy's going to play more than the half anyway because the game's going to be out of hand. But smart or stupid here by saving by keeping the pedal on the metal? Well, as, a, as an avowed rat poison avoider, I understand where he's coming from on this, but <laughs> – he could absolutely look. If Jalen Hurts is 100%, I would I would start Jalen Hurts probably without apology. But he's coming off an ankle surgery and he's about a month out and he can probably play. But if 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 he's not if you watch him in practice and he's not full go, you you may not want to start your third string quarterback even against the Citadel just to, you know, take care of business. But uh Tua absolutely is not going to be in there for very long and he is going to I'm telling you, he will be under strict orders, no scrambling. Get rid of the ball if you feel pressure at all. We're going to hand off a ton, uh, and they're going to protect him. Uh, there's a lot of people that hate this game in the SEC schedule, the the bye week, the late November bye week or mid-November bye week, when everybody – there's eight teams playing uh, non-Power 5 opponents this week. Uh, I don't have a problem with it because they play their good teams earlier. Some teams don't play them. You know, they they, they – they stack up their weak games early and play the hard games later. I don't care where it is on the schedule as long as the schedules are still challenging. And while uh, they are play one fewer league games than most conferences, the SEC is still the best conference. And they prove it when they play quality competition out of conference. They win the games. I would sit to a – I don't think it's that complicated – Mac Jones can hand the ball to one of the cadre of running backs and they can run up the score just like they would have before. I understand the mentality that Saban's trying to reinforce. And I actually like rat poison, Pat. I don't know what you have against rat poison. I find it quite I find it quite tasty. Um, but no, I don't think this is complicated. Look, two has two taken out like a condo in that uh in that injury tent the past few weeks. He hasn't looked right. Like, why even take that one percent risk? I wouldn't do it. He's the franchise, he's the franchise next year. Like you know, just give him 14 days off to be right for this home stretch. I would, I mean, I would do it that way too, but you know, I, I, I can understand the way Saban's mentality is. And 
I think with this team especially, given the praise that has been lavished upon it, he is very much on guard right now against the uh, the rat poisoning of the tide. All right. Uh, Mike Leach uh, had a uh, press conference this week, as he always does, and he was asked um, who would win a fight between all the Pac-12 coaches. And, you know, we love coach fights here. Uh, coach Leach may even listen to this podcast. Um, and uh, he gave a, uh, a very thoughtful answer, which we appreciate, because coach fights really should be a bigger part of the college football experience. I really think it should be <laughs> – might even be a factor in the playoff. Not a big one, but a small one. Like, if we're really down breaking ties, down in the nitty-gritty, you sit there and go, all right, you know, could Kirby Smart or Harbaugh go at it? What do we got there, right? It would be a pretty good fight. Actually, be a pretty good fight. Who? Uh, let's start with that right there before we get to this Pac-12 thing. Who would win a fight between Kirby Smart and Harbaugh? I mean, Har- Harbaugh, fifteen years in the NFL, still yeah. still looks good in his khakis. Crazy, you know that. Yeah, I mean Kirby's got snapability, which I think you can't discount. Where mm, he's just going to go completely point. maniac. But no, I think if you've done fifteen years in the NFL, you have an inherent toughness. I'm pro Harbaugh. He wins. I'm taking Kirby. Don't discount youth in this. He's got to have. He's got to be at least ten years younger than Jim, right? I, I really feel like uh, Kirby's got some some toughness. He was a DB. You could take a DB over a over a over a quarterback, and Kirby now has that like good Southern Chick Fil A build going on. He's got a little, you know, put put up, you know, t- drinking some sweet tea on some recruiting trips there. Uh, he's got to probably weigh thirty more pounds than Jim. I would think. I don't think it'd be close. I, he'd be hard to like take down, man. Especially if he like greased up. Yeah, (laughs) wouldn't be able to grab him. But I don't know. Harbaugh always found a way to win, man. Captain comeback. Yeah. Kirby's 12 years younger, but no, Harbaugh, no, no. I'm going with Harbaugh there. (laughs) All right. Well, let's let's play that aside. (laughs) That was not in the pre-show text, Pete. (laughs) Good, because I I didn't read it again. We didn't really have one today, did we? Did we have one? Um, Anyway, uh, let's play this. Uh, Coach Leach on uh, who would win uh, a fight with the Pac-12 coaches. Um, I'm going to say uh, I'm going to say Kyler Herm for sure. Kyler Herm. Uh, well, they're both in shape. For a while, I mean, simple. This age, if you're in shape, you got a chance. They're both in great shape. You know, you look, I mean, they're both in shape. They both exercise. They, and I don't really care if they get ticked off. Because actually, privately, I think I would. But we're going to be more modest than that. All right, so what... <laughs> What do you think there? He's just basically going with who's in shape. Uh, Whittingham, certainly, at Utah. I mean, that's a he, he's put together. Herm Edwards, I don't know about mm. that. I mm. mean, Herb's kind of old. And then the idea that Leach thinks he would actually win this fight. I mean, how? <laughs> how? That's what I want. I mean, how is Washington State leading this league, though? Maybe yeah. that's it. <laughs> Yeah, that that he'd have to bring his pirate sword is the only way Mike Leach is winning that fight. There is no way. I'm going with Kyle Whittingham. Look, he looks like a strength coach. So you know he's got some of that twitchy crazy in him, you know? He's just like that hard-boiled on edge. If anytime we're ready to go, let's go. I'll just throw hands with you. Uh Herm Edwards is 6 years older. Whittingham's a youthful-looking 58. Herm's 64 and a relatively youthful-looking 64, <laughs> but you get in your 60s, man, you're out, you're, your fighting days are over. So I'm going with the guy in his 50s. Whittingham, champion fighter of the Pac-12. Whittingham uh, is going to have better cardio because he's up in the mountains, 
right? It's like <laughs> it's, true. it's like when the boxers go up to Big Bear Lake in California oh, yeah. to get right. He's at altitude. So yeah. if this thing goes a little ways, I like Winningham's <laughs> chances. Coach Pete, though, I mean, he's you know he looks fit. He looks like he runs a lot. If he could, if he could wear these guys out. No, uh, it's crystal ball, Dan. Crystal ball could kill them all. I might take crystal ball over anyone in the country. <laughs> uh, crystal I, ball is a big, strong, uh, jacked up dude. And I, I think he would have a short temper as well. So I would not mess with Mario crystal. Ball. He's way younger, way stronger. That guy looks like he's uh, he's pretty yoked up. So I don't think it's he's very 48. Close. He's not that young. 48 years old. He's- David Shaw can move some stuff around, too. Now, yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. I would take crystal ball over David Shaw. Right, I'm stick. I, you know what? What about Justin Wilcox? He's young. He yeah, might be no, the I, would, I, would, I would put. I would go Mario Justin, Co- Coach Sumlin. <laughs> I mean, this is a pretty good fighting league. I'm <laughs> yeah, say that. It really <laughs> is. That's what this boils down to. Is we need a friggin' UFC card on the Pac-12 coaches. That would be way more ratings. interesting than anything the Pac-12 has given us this year. Like <laughs> for sure, <laughs> the ratings for this Pac-12 championship game are going to be absolutely awful unless they do this at halftime. <laughs> So get on it, Larry Scott. You're supposed to be a pioneer, remember? That's right. That was his big thing. Thinking outside the box. Let's do this. Innovator, put the octagon in there in Santa Clara next to the stadium, and let's go. Let's have them all throw down. All right. All right, Pat, while we're we're on this uh, ridiculous parts, um, it's been a big year for big hair in college football. And you brought up an interesting point in the 40-yard dash this week. You never see an official with long locks, facial hair, or tattoos. We've got players and coaches everywhere, but no officials ever. What's up with that? What'd you find out? I, I think this was a deep dive investigation by <laughs> Yahoo Sports here. And by that, that means I emailed somebody at every conference in the media relations department and said, so what's the deal? Do you all have a policy or what? Why does every uh, official look like an accountant? You know, can't we have any rogue renegade style in there? They're like, no, we don't have any policy. We don't have any policy or anything. Although the big, the Pac-12 did acknowledge they basically do have a policy. You know, your hair has to be, can't be over the collar. You can have a mustache, but you can't have a beard. That sort of thing. I want one guy out there who looks like, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Why, why can't we have that? An official with, you know, the long hair, the Fu Manchu, and a sleeve of tattoos. Uh, let's keep it a little more real, but no, that they, they don't exist. It's, it's shocking to me that, I mean, if you look, every official looks like every other official in football, they all look the same. I'm appalled. That's true. Cause like, you know, uh, you know, a good bar bouncer, I mean, yeah. they're going to, they're going to be themselves free spirit. See? Yeah. Sure. None, none of these guys ride into the stadium in a Harley. They're just taking their hurts. <laughs> so I don't know. I've I've alerted the Pulitzer Committee on your behalf, Pat, for your deep you. investigative journalism. That they, they is... they're very open, you know, very open. Hey, do you see anybody else doing this investigative work? <laughs> nope. You know, I'm the only one willing to take on this topic. I think uh, the listeners would not be surprised to know that we're officially out of things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you for listening. Uh, race for the case later this week. Please subscribe. And uh, leave us a nice review. And we will chat with you. Race for the case. And then, of course, overreaction Monday on Monday. Talk to you guys later. <laughs>